Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love you to open it now to Proverbs chapter 26. In chapter 25, we entered into Collection 5, which runs from chapter 25, verse 1, through to chapter 29, verse 27. Bruce Walkey identifies a subsection here running from chapter 25, verse 28, through to chapter 26, verse 28, meaning he thinks this chapter should actually begin with the last verse of chapter 25, and he gives this entire subsection the heading, Seven Perverted Types of Humanity. I would change that slightly or simplify it to seven types of sinner. So he talks about the undisciplined person, the fool, the sluggard, the busybody, the mischief maker, the slanderer, and the hateful enemy. The first one of those, the undisciplined person, or the person lacking self-control, was discussed in chapter 25, verse 28. So here in chapter 26, under Walkie's arrangement, we're looking at the final six perverted types of humanity, or the final six types of sinner. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Like snow in summer, or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, as you can tell just by looking at your open Bible, if you have one open in front of you, this section on the fool gets by far the most word count of all the seven perverted types. We're told in this section that the fool is not the sort of person who should be honored. In fact, the bad things that happen to the fool, generally speaking, appear to be the just rewards for his stupid and sinful behavior. He reaps what he sows. He plays stupid games, and he wins stupid prizes. Therefore, according to verse 4, it is generally best not to engage with him. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. A wise person understands that if you get down in the mud to wrestle with a fool, you will get money, but the fool is unlikely to get wise. You will be changed, but he will not be. And so generally speaking, it is best simply to ignore a fool. But that is not always the course of wisdom. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 appears to say the exact opposite of verse 4. It says, 
answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So which is it? Answer a fool according to his folly or don't answer a fool according to his folly? Tremper Longman III is helpful here. He reminds us that Proverbs are not universally true laws, but circumstantially relevant principles. In short, the answer depends on the nature of the fool with whom one is engaged in conversation. In other words, the wise person must assess whether this is a fool who will simply drain one's energy with no positive results, or whether an answer will prove fruitful to the fool, or perhaps to those who overhear. Closed quote. A wise person knows when to apply which principle. I can tell you as a pastor that if you don't understand what's being said here, ministry will absolutely break you. There are people who will constantly want to engage you in endless debates. They will go round and round and round. And every word you say is like pouring water into a bucket with a giant hole in it. They aren't hearing it. They aren't listening to you. They aren't willing to learn. And they aren't in a position to grow. They are deflecting, deceiving, and distracting. And you need to move on. There are people who are eager to be taught. There are people who would take just a few seeds from you and turn them into an entire orchard of gospel harvest. And you say, oh, pastor, how very unlike Jesus you sound when you say such things. Except that Jesus said things exactly like that. Jesus said, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. That's Matthew 10, 14. He said, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Matthew 7, 6. So Jesus told us to be wise and discerning in terms of who we talk to and how we spend our time and energy. A wise disciple maker is going to ask discerning questions. He or she will ask, is this person I'm trying to reach really listening? Or are they just trying to bait me into a never-ending cul-de-sac of argument and deflection? Is this person engaging in honest dialogue? Or are they just slinging mud? As George Bernard Shaw once said, never wrestle with a pig. You just get dirty and the pig enjoys it. Listen, the bottom line is this. Some conversations are worth having and some are not. Some people are willing to listen and rethink their positions and some are not. Wisdom involves thinking these things through. If verses 4 and 5 are about speaking to a fool, then the focus shifts in verse 6 to the folly of attempting to speak through a fool. Pouring clean water through a dirty filter would be ridiculous. Well, so too would be any king sending dispatches and messages through the mouth of a fool. A wise king, a wise any kind of leader, chooses his or her envoys carefully. And the wise teacher chooses his or her disciples carefully. That seems to be the message of verses 7 and 9. A fool won't know what to do with your wise instruction. And again, that reminds us of Jesus talking about casting our pearls before swine. Verse 8 is saying not to give honor to fools. It will only rebound to your own harm and embarrassment. That's what happens when you tie a stone to a sling. You shoot it out, and because it's tied to the sling pocket, it comes right back to bite you in the eye. Don't do that. And don't hire a fool. You might as well 
punch everyone in your organization in the face because that's what you're doing if you hire a fool. And then verse 11 is saying that a fool's habits are as ingrained in him as the instincts of a dog. Dogs are going to scratch, sniff, and vomit because that's what dogs do. You could teach a dog to walk on his hind legs and howl handles Messiah before you would teach a fool how to walk in wisdom. Then in verse 12, we're told why that is. The trouble with fools is that they think they are wise. They don't know they are fools, and therefore they refuse to listen to correction. There is no one so lost as the person who is absolutely sure they're on the right track. In verses 13 to 16, we begin to hear about the sluggard, another of Solomon's archetypal characters. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So a sluggard exaggerates risk, overindulges in sleep, is thoroughly unmotivated, even to help himself, and has a convincing answer for every offered correction and critique. He is sure that he is justified in all his sloth and inactivity. In today's terms, we might say the sluggard is the fellow living in his mother's basement, playing video games 14 hours a day, and sleeping the other 10. He believes the system is corrupt. Every job he's been fired from, it was the other guy's fault. It's impossible to get ahead in life, you know. And besides, trying would be perpetuating an unjust system. A wise leader does not coddle or enable such people. And again, you say, Pastor, you don't sound very Christian at this point. I would ask you to give your New Testament another read-through. If you do, you'll come across the Apostle Paul saying, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Closed quote. That's 2 Thessalonians 3.10 in the New Testament. The church is not to coddle those who will not work. Now, of course, will not work is different than cannot work. Again, this is where discernment is required. In verse 17, we meet the fourth perverted type, the busybody. Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. There are, of course, some people who just can't help themselves. If they see a conflict, they feel the need to insert themselves into it. Maybe they have a, an inflated sense of their own wisdom. Maybe they have a bit of a savior complex. Perhaps they just have too much time on their hands. The Hebrew word translated into English here as metals can mean exactly that, but it can also be translated as rage or become excited. So the picture seems to be of the person who is always looking for something to be upset about. They insert themselves into conflicts because they like conflict. They need conflict. It is their brand. If there's nothing for them to be upset about, then they'll be upset about whatever you are upset about or whatever someone on the internet is upset about. They wander to and fro, drawn to strife and conflict like a moth to a flame. Verses 18 to 19 give us a picture of the fifth perverted type, the mischief maker. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death 
is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. The mischief maker is cousin to the anarchist. He's like a man shooting arrows into a crowd for his own amusement. Alan P. Ross is here. The practical joker is immature and thinks only of his own laughs. Closed quote. I think all of us understand that good-natured joking is an important aspect of friendship. I grew up with two older siblings, and so I have a pretty thick skin, and I've learned to take a joke. And I think that's a good thing. And I don't think that's the sort of joking that is being targeted here. I think here we're talking about amusing ourselves at the expense of our neighbors. This is a growing problem in our society. Social media platforms like TikTok will often feature challenges and dares that other kids are encouraged to attempt. Now, some of these are benign, but some of them are harmful. There was a knockout challenge a number of years ago that was very popular on the internet where kids were being encouraged to take videos of themselves sucker punching passersby. There was another challenge a few years after that in which kids were being encouraged to lick or spit into ice cream at the grocery store before putting it back on the shelves. Okay, well, that's exactly what we're talking about here. That's you amusing yourself at the expense of of a neighbor. That's not funny. That is sinful and socially destructive behavior. There's a type of person that is attracted to that. And the royal son is being told to watch out for those people. Those are the people that a wise leader is looking to restrain or remove from his kingdom so that the righteous can flourish and prosper. The sixth perverted type, the slanderer, is discussed in verses 20 to 22. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So again, we have to remember the original purpose for which this anthology was prepared. It was first and foremost a gift to the royal son, a gift that was expanded and added to over the years for subsequent royal sons. That was its primary audience. But then, as we've talked about previously, it also appears to have become a sort of recommended catechism for all covenant children. And that gives us two likely intentions behind each of these seven depictions. The sage is saying to leaders, these are the people you have to weed out if you want your garden to grow. And then secondarily, he's saying to regular members of the covenant community, this is the sort of person you should aspire not to be. Don't be a slanderer. Don't be a whisperer. Now, of course, the challenge is that most whisperers don't understand the extent to which they are the source of the problem. They think they're whistleblowers, truth tellers, and justice seekers. Derek Kidner is here. It is the whisperer or quarreler himself, not, as he would claim, the truth, that feeds the fires, for his mind refashions facts into fuel, closed quote. There is nothing more dangerous to a community than a person with their own set of facts who feels a sort of divine commission to put everyone else on trial. And of course, the internet is not at all helpful here. The internet gives a person like this the illusion that they have done their research. But a wise person understands that a Google search is not research. A Google search is like looking into a mirror. All you see is who you are. 
If you are into conspiracy theories, then that's what Google gives you. If you like dirt on left-leaning liberals, then that's what Google gives you. You didn't do research. You did a DNA test. And this is why we need to be part of an authoritative community, not an abusive community, but an accountable community. You cannot be your own judge, jury, and executioner. Christians need to be very careful about breaking the ninth commandment in their use of social media and in their personal conduct in the church lobby. And pastors and elders as community leaders need to be far more vigilant in following the counsel given by the Apostle Paul in Titus 3.10. He said, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned, close quote. I'll tell you this, many churches are just two or three excommunications away from peace and harmony. Don't harm the many out of an unwise impulse to indulge the wicked few. Again, that's not unchristian. That is wisdom, Old Testament and new. The seventh perverted type comes to us in verses 23 to 28. Here we're talking about the hateful enemy. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. The NIV 11 is actually closer to the original Hebrew for verse 23. It says, like a coating of silver dross, that's the actual Hebrew word used, like a coating of silver dross on earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. The imagery is of a clay vessel that has been covered with a thin veneer of silver so as to look like something it is not. Well, so it is with the hateful enemy. He or she hides behind a veil of flattery, pleasantry, and kindness, while within their heart is filled with wicked malice. That's the idea here. Verses 23 and 24 are descriptive. And then in verse 25, the wise father gives a word of advice. When a person like that speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Now, seven obviously is a symbolic number, meaning a complete and abundant store. So he may be spouting poetry at you, but inside he is seething with all manner of malice and villainy. Do not be deceived. Verse 26 is saying that hatred like that cannot be permanently concealed. Eventually, it will come out like pent-up steam escaping through the tiny hole in the top of your stovetop kettle. You will hear it. Everyone will hear it because the wicked man will not be able to contain it. Eventually, he will show his true colors and give full vent to his hatred in the public square. Now, the good news is then at least you'll know who your enemy is. The bad news is now you have a declared and public enemy. And let me tell you something. It is no fun at all having someone say awful things about you in a public forum. But it happens. There are wicked people out there who are going to hate. 
They'll try to act nice at first, but then at some point the dam is going to break and the hatred and the malice is going to come bursting out. Know that and conduct yourself accordingly. At one level, that means taking reasonable precautions. The royal son should take everything people say to him with a grain of salt. He should be aware that just because someone smiles in your face doesn't mean they aren't assassinating your character behind your back. So be careful how you listen and be careful what you say. But also, be careful about your reactions. Remember, wickedness often makes rapid gains, but the end of that road is death and destruction. So play the long game. That's the basic counsel of verse 27. Remember, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. And that sounds like every episode of The Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote, doesn't it? For people my age, of course, that's a very helpful illustration. For those of you who are a little younger, you may need to look that up on the internet. The point is that wicked plans tend to backfire. Your enemy pulls back on that giant boulder in the massive slingshot he has constructed. And what happens? The rubber band snaps and the boulder falls on his head. Or the boulder sticks to the sling harness and fires outward towards the enemy and then comes flying back to smack the sender in his face. That's kind of how life works. So don't compromise on your own character. Don't get down into the mud to wrestle with the pigs. Just keep your eye on the ball. Do what you know is right and play the long game. But then also, because the royal son will soon be in charge, the wise father leaves him with an important reminder. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. What he's saying is that you need to do whatever you need to do as a leader to advance truth and to expose deceit, because deception and flattery alike undermine society. The Tyndale Old Testament commentary says helpfully here, Deceit, whether it hurts or soothes, is practical hatred, since truth is vital and pride fatal to right decisions, closed quote. That is well and helpfully said. A leader must work to preserve truth in the public square. Now, before we leave this chapter, it might be helpful to remind ourselves that the New Testament, too, is honest about the general depravity of unredeemed humanity. We've been talking about seven types of sinner, and that can feel a little negative and pessimistic. But Christian leaders need to be people of truth, and the truth is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. Human beings are warped and corrupted, and there is wisdom in schooling ourselves in the taxonomy of depravity. But of course, we also remember that there is hope. The gospel isn't just the good news that in Christ, God can forgive us of our sins. It is also the good news that because of Christ, God can and will transform us. The Apostle Paul reminds us of that promise in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In the gospel, by grace, and by one degree of glory to the next, we are all being transformed from one or several of these types of sinner into the same image as Jesus Christ. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thanks be to God. And thank you 
for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped. I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for Into the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the Into the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Just click on the Give tab and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the Fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.